Welcome to the preaching and teaching ministry of Mary and Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Today we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 5. And I'm going to start by asking you a question, as I often do, to kind of get your minds working in a direction that God wants to speak to us today. Have you ever been in a setting, whether it's a service like this or a Bible study or even a one-on-one conversation, and someone has said in your hearing or maybe even directly to you, God wants to use you in a significant way? How many say, yeah, I've heard that? Yeah, they spoke it to me either personally or in a message or I heard God wants to use me in a significant way. Now, you don't have to testify. You don't have to confess, whatever. But think, what was your response in your mind when you heard that? God wants to use me in a significant way. Maybe in your mind you thought, oh, that's cool. Oh, I really would like to be used that way. Oh, something else. But perhaps your response was, you know what, I don't think God could use me or even would use me in any significant way because I'm not really qualified to be used by God in any significant way because of fill in the blank. Have you ever perhaps felt that way? Or maybe there's a sliding scale. Well, God could use me in some way, but not in any really significant way because of, because of, and there's any number of things that could fit in that blank of because of what, you know? Because I don't know enough, because I'm not confident enough, because I'm not an extroverted person, uh, maybe because I haven't known about Jesus all that long, maybe because even though I know Jesus and I love Jesus and I'm a follower of Jesus, but my life is certainly not any example that somebody can look at and say, boy, why don't you become just like him or become just like her? Well, I just want to tell you today that the first thing I said... Have you heard this? It is true. God does want to use you in a significant way. But let me be very quick to define significant. By significant, I don't mean in some big flashy way, in some way that a lot of people are going to see and recognize and give you all kinds of glory and honor because you did this. Not in some way that's going to add up to big numbers or anything. But can I tell you that even if you are one of even several influences in somebody's life that would cause them to turn to Jesus and have a relationship with him for all eternity, that is a significant thing. So I'm not trying to say that if you respond, God's going to make you some evangelist, that you're going to get up on a platform somewhere and you're going to preach to hundreds of people or you're going to go overseas or you're going to do this, although God could call you to do something like that. But I believe with all my heart that if you're a follower of Jesus, God wants to use you in a significant way. But that second part, that that response that perhaps you had in your mind, I want to tell you that that is a lie. It's something the enemy wants to use to keep you from being used by God for as long as possible. What is the lie I'm talking about? That statement that God couldn't, God wouldn't, or he wouldn't do it now because... You know, the thing that would tell you, well, I've got to become smarter. I've got to clean up my life more. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got to study hard. Whatever it is that you feel like you've got to do before God can use you, that's not the truth. As I'll explain a little bit later, those are all things we need to do. But you don't have to wait. God wants to use you now. We started a, a sermon series two weeks ago. It was kind of an introduction, but it really started last week on... Um, encounter Jesus' mission. Encounter Jesus' mission. And we talked about what is Jesus' mission. Luke tells us, Luke 17, 10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The whole purpose Jesus came wasn't just to be a good teacher, good example, whatever he was, all those things, but was specifically to, as he traveled around and, and he would preach and he would teach and he was a good example and he would announce that the kingdom of God was at hand, that God was getting ready to break into history and accomplish some great things and establish his kingdom in a spiritual way, eventually to be a physical way. And that it would culminate in Jesus' death on the cross 
which the Bible makes very clear was the very purpose for which he came because it was his death that paid the price for our sins so that we could have eternal life. We could have the living water we talked about last week. We could have a relationship with God not only now, but forever. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That was his mission. But once he did that, once he did all the preaching and teaching three, three and a half years, then he died, was buried, rose again, ascended into heaven 40 days later. That message needed to be taken to the world. And so he called his disciples and gave them what we call the great co-mission. It's a co-mission. It's our joining together with Jesus's mission that we need to take that message out to people that need to hear it so that they can come to know Jesus, so they can come to follow Jesus. So last week we talked about encounter Jesus' passion and how Jesus' passion was to reach the world, to reach the lost in the world. May God give that same passion to us. And today we're going to talk about encounter Jesus' promise. Encounter Jesus' promise. Now, when we talk about taking the gospel, we talk about sharing Jesus with other people. We, we've mentioned this every single week. We hesitate many times. Most people, not all, but hesitate. It, 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 it puts a little bit of a fear into us. We, we, we aren't aggressively, actively desiring to do that. And why is that? And it's because of fear. We're afraid of any number of things. We, we don't like conflict. We don't like to be pushy or perceived to be pushy. We don't want to get into some kind of negative conversation that is, 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 you know, just stirs up negative feelings. And we talked about that last week and God doesn't want that to happen either. Now, I'm not saying that you can't ever get into a conversation with somebody about Jesus and it turns negative. But as we're going to see next week, when we talk about Jesus's process, how he instructed his disciples to go out and do this, one of the things he says is that people are resistant to it, just walk away. It's not the right time. It's not the right place. So we'll talk about that more next week. Sometimes our fear is that I don't know enough, you know, to really be able to share with others about Jesus. Again, we're going to talk about that next week. But the other fear that is there is that I can't do it because I'm not qualified. My life isn't what it should be. I, I don't know enough. I, it's, it's, you know, I just, I gotta, I gotta straighten some things out. I gotta, you know, all these things that we think we have to do before we can be used by God. And because of that, we're not qualified. But Jesus made a promise. Jesus made a lot of great promises, but Jesus made a promise to his disciples that applies to us today too. That lets us know that we don't need to wait. That we don't need to wait to be used by him. We're going to read through Luke chapter 5. Starting in verse 1. But before we do, I want to give you my first point. I'm going to give you four different truths from this passage that will help build upon this idea that God really wants to use us. He wants to use you in a significant way, and in particular to share Jesus with other people. But I want to read the first point to you so you can kind of have that in mind as we read the story, okay? The first point is this, is that when we respond to Jesus' call... He promises that we will be used by him. When we respond to Jesus' call, he promises that we will be used by him. Responding to his call, we say, I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus. I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. We we surrender our lives to him. We accept him as Savior and Lord. When we respond to that call, he promises that he's going to use us. So let's read through Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. See if you can catch where that promise comes in. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and they were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, that's Simon Peter, he asked him to put out a little way from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. 
they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he who... For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So we have this episode in Jesus' life. He's traveling around preaching and teaching. He's not yet gathered together all of his disciples. He's met a number of them. In this story, we see he's, he's, he's interacting with Simon and his brother Andrew and James and John, all four fishermen. Um, they've met before, but he has not yet called them at the end of the story. We see that call to come follow him. And Simon and his brother and James and John have been out all night long fishing, which is the best time to fish on the Sea of Galilee. And this is just one of those nights they didn't catch anything. They've come back to shore. They've been up all night long. They've worked hard for nothing. But before they can go home and go to bed, they have to clean the nets, pick out all the twigs and all the junk and seaweed that got in it and mend anything that broke and everything. So it'll be all ready for the next night's fishing. And so they're doing that. And Jesus happens to be there teaching people. They're pressing on him. So he says, hey, let me get out in this boat a little bit. So he asks Simon, can I get out in your boat? He gets out in the boat where he can be heard better, seen better. He's not being pushed by the crowd. He teaches. And when he's all done, he says, Simon, let's go fishing. And Simon's like, oh, Jesus, we spent all night fishing at the best possible time for fishing and the best possible places for fishing. And we caught nothing. I mean, it's not in the text, but inside you can hear his, his, his mind going, Jesus, you are a rabbi. You're a teacher. I have been a fisher my, my entire life. And you're trying to tell me how to fish, when to fish, and all that kind of stuff. Peter still does not know exactly who Jesus is, but he's got a little respect for him. He's developed a little bit of a relationship with him. He says, but you know what, Lord? Since you asked me to, I don't want to. This is useless, but since you asked me to, we'll go do it. And they go out there, and they have the biggest catch they have ever had. The boats begin to sink, and Peter realizes, we don't know exactly how much Peter realizes, but this man's special. This man has the power and the touch of God on his life like nobody I've ever known, seen, or heard about before. And he drops on his knees saying, I am not worthy to even be in your presence. Just leave me, Lord. I'm just, and, and he's not trying to say I'm some terrible sinner. I've committed adultery five times. I've murdered five people. He's just saying I'm just an everyday, ordinary person, and I'm a sinner, and I don't even deserve to be in your presence. Would you please just, just leave me, Lord? I don't deserve to be around you. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. In fact, from now on, you're going to catch people. So where's Jesus' promise? It's in that verse where he says, Peter, don't be afraid. You will now catch people. It's worded other way, other places in Matthew and Mark. Um, it's verse 10 of Luke 5. Do not be afraid from now and you'll be catching men. But Matthew 4.19 and Mark 1.17 is a, another story. It's either this exact same story. It's a different time because there's some similarities and some differences. But when Jesus called them and in Matthew and Mark, it says specifically, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so there's Jesus' promise made specifically to Peter and Luke, but made to all four of the men in Matthew and Mark. And basically he's saying, if you will follow my call to follow me, if you will, if you will follow me, I promise that you will be used by me. Now, it'd be very easy to say, but that was Jesus' call and interaction with Peter. You know, obvious in Luke. Or if you look at Matthew and Mark's version and see, it's obvious it's not just Peter, but he's talking to James and John and Peter's brother Andrew. But how do we know that that applies to us? Well, if you're familiar at all with the New Testament, and if you're not, I'll just tell you that as you follow the story of Jesus through the four Gospels, and you continue to see the teachings of Jesus and, and of those that followed him in the early church, you see that this promise is for all of Jesus' followers. 
That Jesus wants all of his followers, including us today, to be, quote, fishers of men. We may not relate to it as much as Peter did because he was a fisherman. But he wants all of us to reach out to others. He says, says, if you will follow me, I will use you. I will use you. And so before we go on, I just want to ask, are you a follower of Jesus? Have you come to that place where you realize that you are a sinner, just like Peter felt so unworthy, a sin, that you are a sinner in the, in the face of a holy God, and, and there's nothing you can do, there's no way you deserve or are worthy to have a relationship with him, and that certainly is what the Bible teaches, that we're all sinners separated from God. But that, as we just talked about, Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and it ended with his death on the cross. That's what paid the price for our sins. And so we come to him and say, God, please forgive me of my sins. I, I, I don't deserve it. I can't earn it. But your word says that's why Jesus died, and I want a relationship with you. I surrender my life to you. Help me to live for you. Are you a disciple? Are you a follower of Jesus? Now, if you're not, I pray that God will work in your heart and would draw you to himself and that you would respond to that call because God loves you. That's why Jesus came. That's why he was willing to die on the cross, that your sins could be forgiven if you respond to the call. Two words that are used often through Scripture about that repent and believe. It's like my sin has separated me from my God, so I'm repenting of my sin. I'm going to believe. I'm going to put my trust in that what Bible says is true, that Jesus paid the price, and I'm trusting in that. But if you are a follower of Jesus, can I tell you, God wants to use you. But yet we could still object and say, well, yeah, I I can imagine, I can see he will want to use me someday down the line after I, all those things we already talked about, fill in the blank. After I learn more, after I clean up my life more. After, But the story also, and other teachings of Scripture, let us know that God wants to use you right now. God wants to use us right now. And that brings us to the second reason why that is possible, the second truth I want to share with you, and that is our effectiveness is based on Jesus' resources, not ours. You see, this is why God can use us now, even if we don't know enough, even if we're not smart enough, we don't think so, even if our life isn't perfect yet. Can I tell you, if we wait till our lives get perfect, God will never use us. We'll never make ourselves available to him. So I know I don't have to be perfect, but I at least got to get this taken care of. I got at least got to get that taken care of. But please understand, God wants to use you, but what he does, he's going to do through you, not because of you. Now, because of you, yes, because you willingly say, God, I want to be used by you. Here I am. You guide me, lead me, whatever. And he will use your knowledge. He will use your abilities. He will use your tongue. He will use you but it's not so much because you're so wonderful and you're so smart and you're so such a shining example. It's because Jesus is going to work through you. It's not your resources, it's his. In fact, the only resources you have to whatever degree you do with knowledge and abilities, God gave it to you anyway. And that's why he can go ahead and use you now. Because he wants to work in and through you. And at the same time, he's working in the people he wants to lead you to. You see, our usefulness is not dependent on our maturity, our holiness, or our intelligence. I'm not saying those things are not important. But our ability to be used by God is not dependent on how holy we are, how smart we are, how how intelligent or holy or, or, or mature we are. You know, in this story, when Peter sees what Jesus did. And can I tell you that catching that great load of fish that they caught had nothing to do with Peter being such a great fisherman. I'm sure Peter was a great fisherman. He'd never caught a catch like that before. Had nothing to do. It had to do with Jesus. You see, it was Jesus' resources, Jesus' ability, Jesus' intervention in the situation. He did use Peter and James and John and Andrew. I mean, they had to put the boats out. They had to let the nets out. They had to pull them in. But it was because of Jesus. And in the same way, he'll use us right where we are and how we are if we're open and we're willing. And it's his resources that will work through us. If you were here last week and if you weren't, 
You can watch or listen to it online. But we looked at the story of the woman at the well. Someone who knew nothing about Jesus. But she had this conversation with Jesus at the the well and and she didn't fully understand everything he was trying to say. He was offering her eternal life by using the the picture of living water and she kept getting confused with real water and blah, 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 blah. But at the end, she was a very immoral woman. We talked a lot about why the reasons of that were so last week. But we see that she was responsive. And when it finally got to the point in the conversation, she began to get it, and Jesus revealed that he was the Messiah. He was the one that was going to come, make everything right, all this kind of stuff. She got so excited, and she went back to town, because the well was outside of town, and she began to tell everybody in town, people that had looked down on her for years probably, people who didn't think very much about her. She had a terrible reputation. But she began to tell people about Jesus and the response was that some of the people believed because of what she had to say, but then they followed her out of town, met Jesus. He stayed there for two more days and because of their interaction with Jesus, they they, they believed because of their own experience with Jesus. Well, Jesus used that woman, right? How holy was she at that moment? How mature was she at that moment? How much did she really understand who Jesus was and what he came to do at that moment? Very, very little. But God used her anyway because it wasn't about her. It was about Jesus. And the same thing is true for us. Now, again, I'm not saying these things are not important. They are tremendously important. Our life and our ability to walk in holiness, which basically just means I want to please Jesus and stop sinning. Our ability to learn and grow in our understanding of Jesus and who he is and and what God's word says about that is significantly important. Our willingness and openness is tremendously important. Our maturity is very important. But can I tell you, if you really are a follower of Jesus then that's going to continue to increase the rest of your life. You'll never be perfect. I'm not perfect. But as you go through life and you're following Jesus, it's really your desire. You really do have a relationship with him. You will become more holy. You'll find more and more victory over sin. You may have episodes. You've got to deal with them. But you'll find that your life becomes more pure, more lined up with what God wants. And, and you know what God wants is what's best for us, those things that he doesn't want us to be destroyed by sin. You'll find that you'll become more mature. You'll find that you will learn more and understand more. And so as you do those, God will be able to use you more and more and more effectively. But you don't have to wait is the point I'm trying to make. You don't have to wait because it's not dependent on that. You know, in this story, Jesus said, or in this call, he says, I will make you fishers of men. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to force them. He's basically saying, I'm taking responsibility for what I'm calling you to do. I will take responsibility. I will make, I'll guide you, I'll lead you, I'll empower you, I'll resource you, I'll help you. I'm spending extra time on this second point because this is the most important one I think we need to really grasp. Jesus promises to put his resources at our disposal. Let me just talk about three of them real quick. First of all, Jesus promises us his authority. Now think about this, the authority of the Son of God. Now we don't become God. It doesn't mean we can make our own decisions and tell anything to be that we want to be. But as we are following Jesus, doing what he wants us to do, we are doing that in his authority and therefore we have that authority. So we're like an ambassador. In fact, Paul calls us Christ's ambassadors. An ambassador has the authority of the governing power that sent them to another country. But only under the originating authority to do what they want them to do, okay? But Jesus promises his authority. In Matthew 28, 18, what we call the Great Commission, it begins this way. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And he goes on to give some specific instructions. He says, I've got all authority, and I'm sending you out with my authority. He couldn't even make it any more clear than what Luke says in Luke 10, 19, when Jesus had said, in fact, we're going to go there next week. That's where we're going to look next week. We talk about Jesus' process. He sends out 72 of his followers who are young in the faith, who are green, who don't know much, who have not, but Jesus sends them out. He uses them. 
And when he sends them out in Luke 10, 19, he says, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Is he talking about physical serpents and scorpions? Maybe to a degree, but I think what he's saying here is, I'm sending you out, I'm giving you authority in the spiritual realm. You got it, man. You go out there. I won't physically be with you, but you've got my authority to proclaim the kingdom of God, to heal people, to touch people, to help people, to learn about what the kingdom of God means. So he promises us his authority, but he also promises us his power. He promises us his power. We see that in Acts 1.8, right before Jesus ascends into heaven. One of the last things he tells his disciples, but you, he tells them to wait in the city for the Holy Spirit to come because the Holy Spirit, God himself, will come and dwell within his followers. But in verse 8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. And he goes on to say, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, other parts of the earth, you know, where you are, a little bit out from where you are, even among your enemies and all over the place, wherever I lead you. But you'll do it not in your own strength, but in my strength. The strength of the Holy Spirit. God's strength itself, himself. So Jesus promises us his power. But not only that, Jesus promises us his presence. He doesn't just send us out and say, bye, see you later, come back and let me know what happened. He says, I go with you. I go with you. That same great commission in Matthew 28 At the end of it, in verse 20, after he says, you know, go and make disciples, I've got all authority, go and make disciples. He says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. As you before God say, God, Pastor Tim said, and he showed through your word that you really want to use me. And not just reaching people, Jesus, this is true of every area where God would want to use you. If you're involved in some kind of ministry or maybe you're not involved in a ministry. And the reason why is because you say, well, I need to jump through all these hoops. I got to get this taken. You know what? And there are certain qualifications for certain types of ministry. But if you're holding back from being involved in a certain ministry because you think this, that, and the other, Jesus says, I'll work in and through you. Don't, don't put it off. Don't put off wanting to be involved in being used by God because he wants to use you now. He says, I'll give you my authority. I'll give you my power. And I'm going to be right there with you. Now, it'd be a lot more comforting if he's actually physically with us you know, because we're talking to somebody and we, we don't know exactly what to say and say, hey, Jesus, you take it now. You know, it's, it's not quite that way, but he does promise to be with us. And even though it's not physical, it still is very, very real that his presence is with us. I think of an example in the Old Testament that's not exactly the same because we're not talking about sharing Jesus with others, but I think of David. Any of you ever heard of a guy in the Old Testament by the name of David? Is there anybody here who's not heard of David? We've heard of David. David is one of the great heroes of the Old Testament, right? And what is he most famous for? How many said killing Goliath? How many said sleeping with Bathsheba? Probably an equal break between the two, right? His greatest triumph and his greatest moral tragedy. The thing he's most known for is defeating the Goliath, uh, the the giant Goliath. How did he do that? Because he was such an awesome warrior. I mean, because he was probably, you know, six and a half feet tall and all beefed up and, you know, no, you read the story. You know, we look at these people from the from the future back to the past. It's like, oh, they're a great hero. They didn't start out a hero. David was the runt of the family. He was the youngest of seven or eight sons. And and when God had told Samuel the prophet to go anoint the next king, and he's going to be one of Jesse's sons, and Samuel went to Jesse's house, he says, hey, we got to get your whole family together. And, and, and you know, he's going to anoint the next king. They didn't even bother calling David in from taking care of the sheep. That's how insignificant he was to his own family. But he did get anointed as the next king. And this is kind of how, how David breaks onto the scene. The story's in 1 Samuel 17. You can, you can read it later. David's not even part of the army. The army of Israel has gone against the Philistine army and Goliath comes out every day, makes this challenge. Send somebody down for me to fight with. If I defeat him, we win. If he defeats me, you win. But nobody wanted to fight Goliath, this humongous, giant, massive warrior. David's back home. And his dad says, hey, listen, go check on your brothers who are in the army. Take them some supplies. Bring a report back to me how things are going. David goes. He hears Goliath, makes this challenge. And he's kind of like, why is nobody going out to fight him? 
I mean, David was probably this little skinny old runny guy, boy, teenager, preteen maybe. Why is nobody going out there? I'll do it. People are like, yeah, right, David. Somehow it caught the attention of King Saul. He goes to King Saul. And King Saul basically says, you can't do this. What makes you think that you could conquer Goliath? He says, well, you know, I'm a shepherd. And as a shepherd, I've learned how to use my sling. And there are times I was washing the sheep. And a lion would come. I'd kill the lion. Bear would come. I'd kill the bear. But the way he words it, in 1 Samuel 17, 37, he says, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Whereas he says, I can do this, but it's not because I'm some awesome person. I'm this massive warrior. I'm this... It's because God's already proven himself to me. In smaller situations, God made his resources available. To, now, God used David. David is the one that used the sling. David learned how to use a sling. He, he honed his abilities. He collected the rocks. He did it, but God was the one that used him. And he said, because he's done that, he can use me to kill the giant. In fact, when he goes out to kill the giant, let me read to you what he says to the giant. Because Goliath basically says, I'm going to wipe you out. That's a paraphrase. First Samuel 17, verses 45 to 47, skipping a little bit in between. He says, you, David is talking to the giant. He says uh, to Goliath, you come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. Skipping down a little bit more, he says, and all the earth will know that there's a God in Israel. And all this assembly will know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle's the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Did God use David? Yes. Did God use David because he was an awesome warrior? No. Did God use David with the abilities he had and that he'd grown in and that he'd owned? Yes. But who really gets the glory for the victory? God does. And can I say the same thing is true for God using us? If we will step out and be willing to be used by him, even though we're not perfect yet, even though we don't know it all, even though there's some things we got we're still working on, God will show up and God will use us. I think of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. This fits more along with the theme because we're talking about talking to people about Jesus. Again, we look back and think of Paul. Oh, man, Paul, if you know about Paul. Paul was used probably, at least according to the records, we have more by God to spread the gospel in the first century than anybody else. And we see him as a hero of the church, a hero of the gospel. It's because we're looking back at what he accomplished. But how did Paul start out? He aggressively persecuted Christians in the church of Jesus Christ. He aggressively arrested people, put them in jail, was active in their trials to have them condemned, wanted to see them all dead, was traveling out of town to go arrest a big group of Christians when Jesus confronted him. And he realized Jesus truly was the Messiah, and he became a Christian. But this is the way Paul puts it in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 16. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. And if you stop right there, it sounds like I was doing such a great job. Jesus called me and he's used me so much. But if you go on, he says, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. Whereas even though I blasphemed God because of my view on Jesus Christ, even though I persecuted his followers, and even though I was insolent, I was proud, I was arrogant about it, God still called me. God still used me. He goes on to say, but I received mercy because I'd acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. In other words, I didn't deserve it. I couldn't earn it. I was a mess. But God's grace pulled me out of it and qualified me to be used by him anyway. Verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Paul's not having a pity party. Paul's not being down on himself. I think he honestly believed this. He says, I was the least likely, the least worthy person for God to call and to reach out to and to save and to use. 
but he did it anyway. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. In other words, he says, God chose me specifically because I was the worst, because if God could change me, he can change anybody. But can I tell you the other thing is true, another thing that's true is that if God can choose him being the worst and still use him, he can use us. And we see that Paul didn't wait until he had everything figured out and all that. You study the story of Paul's life, and as soon as he had his encounter with Jesus, he was struck blind, and, and, and God sent someone to pray for him. He was healed. Immediately, he begins to share, with Jesus, share about Jesus with other people. In fact, because he was known as a persecutor, people were afraid of him. It's like he's just playing a game so he can arrest us. But eventually, became convinced. But he didn't have to go study for a bunch of years. I mean, he did do some, did a bunch of study. He spent some intensive time. You know, he worked his way up to doing more and more stuff. But God started using him right away, right away where he was. You know, I can see this idea, this principle, true in my life in two ways. One, after I came to know Jesus when I was ten years old, I felt God's call on my life that He wanted me to be involved in ministry. But I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew that I would never be a pastor. You see what happened? And I really did. I thought God couldn't use me to be a pastor. The pastors I knew, the pastors I'd seen and all that kind of, you know, I, you know, churches and what they did and how they did it and getting up and speaking to people. You see, basically on the inside, at least the way I used, I was an introvert. You might have a hard time believing that because I get up here every week and speak, but I've changed a lot over the years. I actually really felt like I was going to go to Bible college and learn a lot of stuff and become a Bible college professor. That was really what my goal was for many, many, many years. But God worked through those many years to speak to me and say, I want you to be a pastor. Because it's not about you. Whatever you need to learn, whatever you need to do, whatever kind of lifestyle you need to lead, I'll help you with that. So that's one way I experience this. The other way is, you may or may not be able to tell, but I can tell you that almost every single time I get up to preach or teach, I have gone through a process and preparation of wrestling with the text. And, and you know, those of you that know me, you know my passion. I want to preach and teach God's word the way it's presented um, with the meaning that God has put in it and to draw that out, not to put something else in it and to apply it in a way that God wants it to be applied. I, I don't want to make mistakes. I don't want to do it wrong. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I want it to be accurate to what God intended for his word. But there are times that I am preparing many, many times, and this message is one of them. So was last week. When I'm preparing, it's like, God, I don't know if I can do this. I, it's not coming together. I don't, and then I can get the message all done, and I've turned my notes in so they can make the projection, and I'm still like, oh, Lord, you know. But I keep reminded, I'm, I've, I've known the Lord long enough now, it's like, you know, it's not about me, it's about Him. And I've experienced it enough times of feeling that way and getting up and saying, God, it's all about you. I need you. I need your your help. I need your direction. I need to, to hear your voice in the preparation, but also in the delivery. I need you to work in the hearts of the people that are going to listen. And Jesus, if you don't do it, it's not going to happen. And to be honest with you, I'm human and God does use me and sometimes it may be better than others and you know all that kind of stuff and sometimes I don't get it exactly right and sometimes I look back and say I wish I'd done this different and all that kind of stuff but I have seen God work but it's not because of me it's because I try to take advantage of the resources that Jesus gives me but as a follower of Jesus I have tried to continue to grow in all those areas but even though I've done that, even though I do have an education, even though I have known the Lord for 50-something years, and I have matured a little bit since I was 10 years old, even though my life probably pleases God more than maybe it did back then, those things are true, but it's not because of those things that God can use me. It's because He's the one that's doing it. And the same thing is true for you. Two more truths. These will go a lot quicker. I told you the second one was the one I really wanted to focus on. But here's a great second part of that promise. Number three, when we trust Jesus, he exceeds our expectations. What I'm trying to say is if you will really trust Jesus and to the degree that you do trust, you say, God, I'm going to step out. You guide me, you lead me, you show me how you want to use me. And you begin to do it, God's going to surprise you. I'm not saying every time. You know, there may be times you're a little disappointed because it didn't go quite like you did because you had your faith all worked up. But God will surprise you. In this story, we see 
Jesus, the rabbi, the teacher, telling Peter, the fisherman, how to fish. And Peter's like, Jesus, I know this. You don't. But you know what? Because you said so, I respect you. It's not going to be, you know, it's going to be a waste of time. We'll try it. And they had that great catch. Totally unexpected. More than they'd ever done before. Why? Because Peter trusted Jesus. Yeah, it was reluctant. In fact, it wasn't filled with a lot of faith. But he did trust Jesus enough to say, you said to do it, so I'm going to do it. Can I tell you that reluctant obedience is better than disobedience? There may be things that God calls us to do we really don't want to, and we may actually feel like that's not going to make a difference, but if we are obedient, it's better than being disobedient. But let me tell you another thing. Obedience opens the door for the miraculous. Obedience opens the door for miracles. It's a process. Even in the story, we see a process. The first thing Jesus asked Peter is, can I use your boat? That's relatively simple. Sure, go ahead. I'll keep cleaning my nets. Go ahead and use it. Second thing. Let's go out for a catch a fish. That was a bigger one. It's going to be useless, but I'll do it anyway. The third thing is, come follow me. That's a biggie. They left everything. They left their boats. They left their fish. I don't believe they left them just on the shore, abandoned them. They left them to the, the family. There was a family business. I'm sure their parents were involved and other people were involved. They just left them, but they left them. It's a big cost. They said, we want to follow Jesus. Look at what Jesus can do. Look at who Jesus is. In the same way, as we begin to obey Jesus in the smaller ways and whatever, our faith will grow. It'll make it easier for us to be obedient. It'll be easier for us to have faith for him to do even more and more in and through us. Can I tell you that Peter was reluctant to go out and fish? But once he had that episode, I'm, I'm trying to think, you know, we just finished the study of the life of Peter on Wednesday nights. I don't think there ever was another time that we have recorded in Scripture where Peter was reluctant to do anything. I mean, he was always, always the first person to jump out there, right? I mean, look at the storm and Jesus comes walking on the water. He says, let me walk out there too. You know, he's not reluctant anymore because of the experience he'd had. But you know what? We battle with reluctance sometimes. We do. But the response that says the disciples were amazed, and can I tell you that I believe that the more that we make ourselves available to God to be used by him, and we're talking specifically about sharing with others about Jesus, but it's true of every area of, be, of doing, you know, being used by God, we will be amazed at what God will do. We will be amazed at what God will do if we'll let him work through us. The fourth and last truth I want to lay before you. The only real obstacle to being used by Jesus is our unwillingness. Because we're not using our resources. Now we need to grow, like I said, grow in maturity, grow in holiness, learn more. But the only real obstacle is our unwillingness if we say no. Jesus said to Peter and Andrew, James and John, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. They could have said no, but they didn't. There were other people that Jesus called. They said no. There were other people that Jesus talked to about the cost of following him. They said no. It's the unwillingness that's going to be the only real obstacle. It's us believing the lie that God doesn't want to use us or can't use us or can't use us yet that will hinder his ability to use us because we just won't do it. As we said earlier, Why are we unwilling? Because of feelings of unworthiness. Hopefully that's been taken care of this morning. Perhaps it's pride. The fears we talked about at the beginning. Maybe it's the cost. If I fully surrender, fully make myself available, what will it cost me? Can I tell you, the cost is not the same for everybody. You may look at this story and say, I can't do that because I can't leave my family. I can't leave my occupation. I can't leave... Whatever. Can I tell you that every person's call and God's plan for every person is different and unique? If you choose to fully follow Jesus and say, God, I want to be used by you wherever you lead me, he may leave you exactly where you are. I can't tell you he's not going to tell you to divorce your wife and go off or you divorce your husband or leave your family or whatever. He may call you to do something big. He may call some of you to be missionaries. He may call some of you to do things that you're totally uncomfortable doing but he'll help you with it. But I want you to think back to these disciples. 
Jesus called them to follow him, and they said yes, and they left everything behind. Do you think they ever regretted it? I see a lot of mixed things. I, I have some mixed feelings. I think for the most part they didn't. But I'll bet you because they were human that they had their moments. That's like, maybe I should have just stayed home. But if they did, because the Bible doesn't say, if they did, I doubt they were few and far between. You see, when they were truly following Jesus and experiencing all that happened as a result of that, it made it worth giving up everything. Do you think they regret it today? So you want to be today. They're not alive today. Yes, they are alive today. They're not on earth. They've been in heaven for almost 2,000 years. Do you think they regret saying, okay, Jesus, I'm leaving everything behind to follow you? No. Not at all. It was the best investment they ever made. Can I tell you that if God calls you to do something, go somewhere, give up something, it may be hard. You're not sure if it's worth it, but if it's truly God, it will be worth it all. It will be worth it all. God wants to use you more significantly than you might think. In many ways, like I said, lots of different areas of ministry, that kind of stuff, but most importantly, to point people to Jesus. And I just want to remind you of a definition. We're getting ready to wrap this up. A definition we started using last week that I got from somewhere else of evangelism. Now, evangelism is just sharing the gospel. It can be a preacher. It can be all kinds of stuff. But we're talking about in this series is just the ordinary, everyday lay person who may never be a preacher or whatever, that evangelism for our purposes today is this. It's intentionally engaging others in spiritual conversations that could lead to sharing the gospel, the truth about Jesus Christ. As I said, you may never become an evangelist. You may never become a missionary. But God would like to use you where you are, where you live, where you work, in your school, in your neighborhood, in your family, to just intentionally allow him to guide you into conversations where you can share things about Jesus. As I said last week, it's not probably going to be a thing where you start a conversation and 10 minutes later they're praying to receive Jesus. It's great when that happens. When that happens, it's usually because they've already had a number of conversations or interactions with people about Jesus. It's a process. It's a process of sowing and watering and nurturing and then reaping down the road. And so it may be a conversation here, another one there, another situation. But being willing to just let that be part of your life. I'm going to be used by God. I'm going to be used by God today. What can I do? How can I share? What door can I walk through to tell people about Jesus and what he's done for me and what he can do for them? As I said, next week we're going to talk about encounter Jesus process as he sends out the 72, the instructions. He gives them very simple things that we can do, very practical things that we can do to open that door for us to be able to do that. So I encourage you to be here next week. But as we wrap this up, I just want to ask you again, are you a follower of Jesus? And if you're not, and God is speaking to your heart, I want to challenge you and encourage you, surrender your life to him. His life or the life he has for you is much better than any life that you can plan for yourself. But I also want to ask you, are you a fisher of men? I came across this saying a number of years ago. I don't know who originated it, but followers of Jesus are fishers of men. If we're not fishing, are we fully following? Now, I'm not trying to say if you're not fishing, if you're not trying to reach people to Jesus, you're not a Christian. But are we really fully following Jesus if we're not making it any effort at all to touch other people's lives for Jesus? I'm not talking about how many fish are you catching or how big are they? But are you involved in the process? I hope and I pray that God will use our time together this morning to stir your heart to say, I want to be used by God. And now I know I can be used right here, right now, where I am, what's going on. I can be used. Now I want to get better. I want to learn more. I want to continue to grow my relationship. I want to please him more. But right now, God wants to use me and I want to be used by God. Can we stand together? And here's what we're going to do. Our worship team is going to lead us in a song. And in a couple of minutes, uh, my wife, Pastor Jane, will come up to close the service. But here's how I want to respond. If God is working in your heart and you'd say, you know what? I want to be used by Jesus. I do. And I, and I, just, I, just, I just want to take a step of faith to say, Jesus, here I am. <laughs> it may be a little scary. And I don't know exactly how you're going to do it. But I want to make myself available. I want to invite you to come down. Can you do this at your seat? Sure you can. But there's something about taking a step that kind of cements it. That kind of just makes it like, yeah, I'm doing this. 
So while the worship team leads us in the song, we're going to do that. I encourage you to continue and meditate on what God's speaking to you. But if you say, I want to be used by Jesus, God, here I am. Come and join us and just ask God, pray to God, talk to him about that this morning before we close. I want to ask today, is there someone or someones under the sound of my voice that you'd say, you know, I've heard this message. And I've not accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, but I desire to do that today. If that is you, we will not embarrass you, but we want to pray with you. If you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you've not committed your life to him and you desire to do that, would you come down here and I will join you and I will pray with you. If there is anyone, we'll wait just a moment. We all have to make that decision if we want to live for Jesus. We have to surrender our hearts and lives to him. And he has such a great plan for our lives. He gives us hope and a future that is so much greater than anything we can do on our own. Is there anyone that you would say, Pastor Jan, that is me. I would like to commit my life to Jesus. Father God, we praise you, Lord. We bless you, we honor you, and we magnify you, God. You are holy, you are righteous, and you are just. God, I thank you, Lord, that it is your desire to work in and through us, to be your vessel of honor. God, you desire to use us to be a witness on our jobs. You desire to use us to be a witness at school, in our neighborhood, in our homes, God. Father, help us not to walk in fear, but to walk in faith, knowing, God, that you will give us the very words to say. And Lord, if there is someone watching online today that they've not committed their life to you, Jesus, if there's someone in this room today, God, that you're speaking to their hearts, help them, Lord, to take that step of faith and surrender themselves to you. We thank you for that, God. You are so good and so faithful. Now, Lord, I pray your blessings upon your people as they go out and make a difference in their world for you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.